well-known German pastor and theologian Helmut Tillich came to the United States and took an extensive tour of the churches within the United States. Upon finishing his tour, he was asked the question, what is the most significant defect among American Christians? His reply was very telling as it is recorded in Philip Yancey's book, Where is God When It Hurts? Helmut Tillich said the most significant deficiency within the American Christianity is that they have an inadequate view of suffering. They have an inadequate view of suffering. Indeed, Tillich was right. I've heard many times of Christian psychologists who encourage those who are facing difficult things, difficult times within their life to rage against God at the tragedies that they have endured. And that is utter hypocrisy. I've heard pastors and missionaries leaving their ministries and leaving their missions because, and sometimes even the faith, because of the headaches, the heartaches, and the hardships of ministerial life. I've seen many within the local church even be willing to quit their ministries, their places of service, simply because they were confronted by a quote-unquote Christian who had complaints and no constructive criticism, or because they ran into a confrontation with another Christian. Indeed, we have an inadequate view of suffering. From the outset, though, let us confess that none of us truthfully understand the subject of serving Christ through suffering. Here within America, if we have only been exposed to the American Christian experience, the most suffering that we have had is perhaps a family member or a friend who has gotten mad at us for sharing the gospel with them. Maybe they had some uh, choice words for us. Maybe they even stopped being our friend. But the reality is, I and you have probably suffered very little, relatively little, for the sake, for the cause of Jesus Christ. Indeed, I've been criticized, I've been slandered, I've been verbally abused, and even falsely accused at times, uh, perhaps even uh, a little bit of spittle upon the clothes. But listen, I've never had to endure the type of suffering, the type of hardship that our brothers and sisters in India and in Pakistan and in most of the Muslim countries within the 1040 window have to endure as they face death as a reality within the court of everyday life. Indeed, they suffer beatings, imprisonments, rejection by their families, and even death because of Christ. And you say, well, that's unusual. That's sort of strange. That's out of the realm of the normal. But listen to what Hebrews 11.35 and following say about suffering and the faithful of Christ. It says in Hebrews 35, women received back their dead by resurrection and others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection and others experienced mockings and scourgings. Yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground, and listen to what is said about their faithfulness. And all these things, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Because God had provided something better for us. So that apart from us, 
they would not be made perfect. It says, listen, God has designed and determined that some would suffer for the cause of Christ. Some would give up their lives. Some would not return home to their wives, home to their children. But rather, they would suffer and give everything up for the sake of the gospel. John Piper, in a biography about Adoniram Judson, who was the famous Baptist missionary to Burma, says this, More and more, I am persuaded from Scripture and from the history of missions that God's design for the evangelization of the world and the consummation of his purposes includes the suffering of his ministers and missionaries to put it more plainly and specifically god designs that the suffering of his ministers and missionaries is one essential means in the joyful triumphant spread of the gospel among all the peoples of the world let me read that last sentence to you and let it just rest upon your heart god designs That the suffering of his ministers and missionaries is one essential means in the joyful, triumphant spread of the gospel among all the peoples of the world. Pastor Piper goes on to soberly say that if we are faithful to God's commands to take the gospel to the remaining unreached people groups within the world, then indeed some of us and some of our children will be killed for the sake of the gospel. It will not be safe going. It will not be safe traveling. It is not, hey, grow up, get a house with two stories and and a nice safe neighborhood. It is go to the ends of the earth for the purpose of the gospel. Somebody asked me last week about retiring. Said, I can't retire. I can't imagine retiring. Because even if I am not in a pulpit, the gospel knows no retirement in the life of a human soul. What will you do when you, you know, the church runs you off because you're too old to think and to preach clearly? Said, by that time, I hope that many of my children are upon the mission field and we'll just spend the rest of our lives traveling and supporting the gospel. That's the kind of view. That's the kind of passion. The understanding that God is working in all things, even in the suffering, and we are willing to surrender even our own lives for the sake of the gospel to go forward and souls to be saved. Paul was in his final imprisonment. He was awaiting execution. Timothy, who was timid by nature, was not so sure that he wanted to go down the same path, to follow the same course, to run the same race that that Paul had run. And so he wanted, it didn't sound like a fun future, to be shackled in chains, awaiting your execution. And so he's maybe looking around, wondering, well, is there any other place that I can go? Is there maybe a little safer place that I can go? Maybe a place where... I can get away from all this torture and listen as long as the church is made up of sinful people in the midst of a sinful world there is always going to be problems in the church and there's always going to be sources of strife and conflict but understand here is Timothy looking around saying is there an easier path and Paul is coming alongside and saying Timothy you endure for the sake of the gospel Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Don't go a different way. Listen, Timothy, do not be ashamed of Christ. Don't be ashamed of me, his servant. Don't be ashamed of the gospel that has saved your soul. 
Paul mentions suffering in all four chapters of this letter. In chapter 1, verse 8, he says, join me in this suffering. In chapter 2, verse verse 3, he says to Timothy, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. In chapter 3, verse 12, he reemphasizes this point and says, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. How many will be persecuted? How many? All, all in chapter four, verse five, he again exhorts Timothy, endure hardship in your ministry. See, in verses six through eleven, Paul is encouraging, exhorting young Timothy to continue serving the Lord, continue serving the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. Indeed, in spite of the trials and tribulations and troubles of life, you keep on serving. His flow of thought goes something like this. In verse eight, he shows us that because you or verses six and seven, he says, because you are saved, you are to serve because you are saved, you are to serve. But when you serve, you better be prepared to suffer and listen when you suffer you remember the gospel of your salvation and God's call to preach and teach the gospel Timothy understand you're saved for the purpose of doing what serving and when you suffer you will do what or when you serve you are saved for the purpose of serving and when you serve you will what suffer and when you suffer you will do what Remember the gospel. Remember the gospel. Last week we looked at the fact that we were saved to serve. But let us follow this week by developing for ourselves a strong biblical theology. A good, strong, robust biblical theology that indeed salvation and suffering go hand in hand. First of all, the salvation of our souls is based on the, uh, on the suffering of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But secondly... The furtherance of His kingdom is based on our being willing to lay down everything, surrender everything, and suffer for the sake of His kingdom. And so let us take for ourselves the text of the Bible and let us look there in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses, verses 8-11 through 11, and see salvation and suffering in the midst of this text. Let's stand now in honor of this, the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 and following, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle and a teacher. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us 
with a holy calling. Father, it is our prayer that we would not shrink away, that we would not be afraid of of men within this world. We would not be ashamed of the gospel of salvation that has come to us through Jesus Christ and the suffering of many saints throughout the course of the ages. But Father, we would yield everything to you in this time. And Father, that your Holy Spirit increasingly would bring us to conform to the image of Christ so that we indeed might make much of who you are and what you have done so that the gospel might go forward and many souls might be saved. Lord, may you lead us and guide us in this time of worship. Father, may you apply this this word into our lives in such a way that we would go out differently than we came in. Lord, it is our prayer as always that you would speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. We see in this passage that Jesus Christ secured our salvation through his suffering on the cross. And we should not be ashamed of suffering for him as we serve his kingdom. Jesus Christ secured for us the salvation of our souls on the cross of of Calvary. And as such, we should not be ashamed of suffering or the others who would suffer for his name and for his sake within this world. We should not be ashamed of our Savior. We should not be ashamed of his servants and we should not be ashamed of the glorious gospel that has set us free to live for him indeed we are to accept our suffering in the midst and without shame and we are to remember our salvation and we are to realize the spiritual service that god has given us within the midst of our suffering. And as we walk through this passage, we understand the totality of the passage is pointing to this main central truth that Jesus Christ has secured our salvation through his suffering. And as such, we should not be ashamed of suffering for him as we serve his great kingdom. Let us begin there in verse 8 and let us see, first of all, that we are to accept our suffering without shame. We are to accept suffering without shame. Paul begins there in verse 8 with the word what? Therefore. Now, anytime you come to a word therefore in the text of the Bible, you should find out what? What it's there for. I'm glad some of you picked up on that. You understand when you come to a therefore, you ought to naturally just think and say, well, what in the world is therefore therefore? And so we go back and look. It ties us back to verses 5 through 7 where we find that Timothy has experienced genuine salvation through sincere faith in Jesus Christ and the gospel. As a result, he has received spiritual gifts from the Holy Spirit to be used in the furtherance of the kingdom of Christ through his service. Because God has saved his soul, God has gifted him for service. And not only has he gifted him for service, but he has not given him a spirit of timidity, a spirit of fear, but rather a spirit of what? Of power and love and sound mind. Discipline. Timothy was not to be afraid. He wasn't to shrink away from the ministry of the gospel that was entrusted to him. And therefore, Timothy, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord's servant. 
Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, for he is the original suffering servant that was prophesied of there in Isaiah chapter 53. And now, listen, Jesus has come. He has appeared among us. He has walked among men and he has been crucified. Jesus and the fact that he, Jesus, uh, indeed would have been a thought of shame to the common world of Paul's day and Timothy's day. Indeed, Jesus would have been thought of as that man who was crucified as a common criminal on that cross at Golgotha. Why in the world would you want to be associated with him? What would make you ever want to be associated with this person? Timothy, don't be ashamed of Christ. Don't be ashamed of his servants either. Paul is on death row awaiting his execution. He's probably being held in the Marmotine prison that is beneath uh, the, the, the tunnels and caverns beneath Rome, held by chains as a prisoner of man. But he really says, listen, I'm not a prisoner of man. I'm ultimately a prisoner, prisoner of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, listen, my skin is shackled to these soldiers, but really my soul is being shackled to the Savior, and that's who I'm suffering for. That's why I'm here. I'm a prisoner of the Lord. And so here he is in a damp and dark underground cavern that would be a shameful place to be. Indeed, there were all types of thieves and murderers, all types of people in these jails. And here is the Apostle Paul, Timothy's what? Father in the faith. Can you imagine? Where's your dad at, Timothy? Oh, he's in jail, awaiting execution. Really? You've got that kind of father? Amazingly, it's it's not such a stretch all of a sudden when we put it in that context to say that Timothy might have shrunk away, he might have been timid, he might have pulled away and been afraid to be associated with Paul. Indeed, few desire to be associated with those that suffer, mostly due to how they will be viewed by the culture. And so, Timothy, do not be ashamed of Jesus Christ who was crucified as a common criminal on that cross of Calvary. Don't be ashamed of his servants who are suffering in the midst of the jail. Paul's challenge and charge to Timothy is to accept the consequences of faithful service to his Lord and Master Christ Jesus. Join with me in suffering for the gospel, Timothy, the message of salvation that sets free, that sets sinners free to live in a right relationship with God and with others. Listen, Timothy, do not be ashamed of God or of God's servants that suffer. You serve faithfully alongside me and you even be willing to suffer. Well, that's a different gospel than Jesus preached, isn't it? Because after all, all of our evangelistic uh, preachers today make the appeal, come follow Jesus and he'll give you a happy life with a happy wife and all the accessories. That's got to be different, Paul, than what Jesus said. Let's turn over to Matthew chapter 10 for just a second and let's see what Jesus said. Look at there in Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 through 20. And see if... Jesus has a different 
call upon his disciples. He's preparing his disciples to go out and to minister the gospel. And he says this in Matthew 10, verse 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say for it will be given you in that hour what you are to say for it is not you who speak but it is the spirit of your father who speaks in you guess what jesus has the same message as paul you've been saved to serve and when you serve you will suffer but when you suffer don't look to yourself to sustain to give yourself the strength and sustenance you need you look to me you look to me In John chapter 15, we also see Jesus preparing his disciples to to go out and to minister. And in verses 18 through 21 of John chapter 15, we find these words of Jesus preparing his disciples. He says, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. Jesus says, listen, prepare to be misunderstood, prepare to be hated, and prepare to be rejected. Jesus tells his disciples, listen, they have persecuted me. They will persecute you. They are going to kill me. They will kill you. Suffering will come about. But be faithful. Why? Because God is in control of all things. Indeed, Adoniram Judson points to this when he says in his autobiography about carrying the gospel to Burma, he says, if I had not felt certain that every additional trial was ordered by infinite love and mercy, I could not have survived my accumulated suffering. If I didn't believe that all of my sufferings was appointed by divine love, infinite love and mercy, I could not have survived. Maybe he had been reading Revelation chapter 6, verses 10 and 11, where Jesus, where at the throne, uh, God has asked, How long, how long, O Lord, will people be suffering and dying for the sake of the gospel? And he responds and says, until the number is complete. Do you realize Jesus says that it is designed and determined that a certain amount of people will suffer and die for the sake of the gospel before he comes back to get his church? That number must be complete. That's the sovereign God. Working in all things. We don't like to see that that side. We don't like to talk about it. But listen, it is real. It is biblical and we must embrace it. Enduring suffering for Christ is never accomplished by the force of our human will. We gain strength to overcome persecution by the power of God as we depend upon His strength and place confidence in His judgments. The God whose power is sufficient to save our souls for all eternity is the same God whose power is sufficient to sustain us through the daily sufferings of life. 
We need to know that and have sure confidence in it. Not a, we are not to be ashamed of the name of Christ, the people of Christ, or the gospel of salvation. We are to accept suffering for the sake of the gospel without shame. But secondly, we see that we are to remember your salvation in your suffering. We are to remember our, our salvation in our suffering. See, Paul turns over another leaf here in an appeal that for Timothy not to be afraid or ashamed of the gospel or of his faithful service to God. He who tells him, Listen, remember, Timothy, remember your salvation. Remember your suffering. It is God's power through his gospel that has delivered you from sin, shame, sorrow, and even death so that you might live holy lives for him and for him before him and be accepted into his kingdom. It is his glorious gospel that has set you free. So you live for the sake of that gospel. Look there in verses 9 and 10 and let's just work through following from verse 8. The gospel, who join with me, Timothy, in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling not according to our works but according to his own purpose and grace which was granted to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity but now has been revealed by the appearing of our savior Christ our savior Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel Paul says, listen, you want to know how to make it through your suffering? You remember the gospel. What is the gospel? Well, that's a good question. Shouldn't we know the gospel? Shouldn't we know the gospel? Yes. No. If you're a child of God, you ought to know the gospel. What is the gospel? Well, here it is. It's broken down into four main parts. And I'm going to walk through uh, these two verses, verses 9 and 10, and point out the elements of the gospel according to the simple uh, words, God, man, Christ, response. That the gospel has four elements, God, man, Christ, response. And so, first of all, we understand that God has designed man to man to have a fellowship with himself, a pure and perfect fellowship that would be under his soul and sovereign authority. God designed man in the beginning to live in perfect fellowship relationship with himself. But there was a problem. Man rebelled, man reviled, man rejected God's commands. He chose to live, live according to his own ways, his own words and his own works. He chose to choose his own path. And so salvation does not come to man through what? Through our own works. It doesn't come to us according to our works. And that's exactly what it says there in verse 9. Indeed, we understand from Isaiah 64, 6 that we have no righteous deeds because our righteous deeds are as filthy rags before God the Father. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 remind us that we are saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Here's the problem. Man sinned, man rejected, man reviled God's law, God and his law and his soul authority within his life. And the same was true for Adam as is true for Todd Wiggins and every other person sitting within this room today that we all have sinned by nature and by choice. We all sin by nature and by choice. What do you mean? Have you ever told a lie? Yes. What does that make you? A liar. Guess what? You've broken God's law. 
James chapter 2, 10 says, if you've broken one law, you've broken the whole law. So you're a sinner that is uh, under the uh, uh, rightly, r- rightly deserving of the punishment of the living God. You have a problem with the living God. And so there's no works that you can do to save yourself. But rather, Christ Jesus, Jesus has come to save you. Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. He has appeared among us. He kept the law perfectly and purely in every area and aspect according to the ways that you and I could not. He had no sin and he knew no works except for the works of righteousness. But yet he died as a common criminal on the cross cross of Calvary to be a satisfactory substitutionary atonement to stand in your place and receive upon himself the wrath, the justice, the judgment that you deserve for your sin in your place so that he might take your penalty so that if you would repent of your sins and place your faith in him, you might be saved. He says, listen, he was dead and buried for three days in a cave that was that served as his tomb. But on that third morning, God's eternal plan and purpose to overcome sin, death, and hell was fulfilled as He rose again in glorious victory. Listen, Jesus Christ is the eternal plan of God for salvation of man. He's not only the eternal plan, He's the only plan. So don't tell me that you've come up with your own plan. You, you have your own peace with God. You've made out your own agreement. The word of God says, listen, your agreement's null and void because man can't get into God's kingdom according to his own works. But man only can be received into God's kingdom if he receives the pure and perfect son of God who has appeared to us in these last days, who has overcome and given us life and immortality. Indeed, the right response to the gospel, to that story of God, man, and Christ, is to respond by humbly admitting who we are, laying down our lives, asking for God's forgiveness, and asking that He would extend to us the grace of Jesus Christ to redeem us and to set us free from the power of sin. We must know the gospel, and we must embrace it fully the gospel does not compare us with Betty Bill and Bubba our neighbors and say how do you measure up according to them and their lives the gospel is not based on simply walking an aisle praying a prayer or even getting baptized although all of those things should be elements that are participated in within salvation we indeed should make a public profession of faith we should pray to receive Christ we should indeed be baptized but listen the gospel redeems selfish and sinful men and women and children by God's grace made known in his glorious Savior Jesus Christ. The gospel then gives us the power to live lives that are holy and right before God so that we please our Creator, our Savior, our Lord, and our King. It doesn't mean that we never die, but it simply means that when we face death, we are not scared of death. We do not shrink away from death because we know with calm assurance that the sting of death is gone. For just as Paul says, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 54 through 58 when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality then will come about the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory O death where is your victory O death where is your sting 
For the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil for Him is not in vain. Paul says, listen, I'm not scared of death. I'm not afraid of the torture. I'm not afraid of suffering. I'm not afraid of even giving my life. Because when I think about that, I remember the salvation that has come to me through the suffering of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I am convinced, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so when I suffer, I understand that I am not to focus on the suffering. I'm to remember the gospel of my salvation. Finally, this morning, not only are we to accept our suffering, not only are we to remember our salvation in our suffering, but finally we are to realize our spiritual service to God in suffering. Paul closes in verse 11 by simply saying, For which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. He closes the sentence by showing Timothy that he is a living example of faithfulness and fidelity to God throughout his life. God has saved his soul. He has gifted him with a spiritual service, a gift to serve in the kingdom. And now God has blessed him with the opportunity to suffer for the advance of God's kingdom. Like a good marathon runner, he understands he must push through the pain. He must push through the wall. He indeed has pushed through the pain and he has pressed through that wall, knowing that the greatest reward will be found when he finishes the race. And so he hasn't fixed his eyes on the things of this earth, earth, but rather the eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ. He has fixed his eyes on completing the task that God has given him and being faithful in the spiritual service that God has entrusted to him to be a preacher, a teacher, and an apostle. And he lives with a continuing a continuing perspective of completing those spiritual tasks. He's going to endure with patience, patient persistence and calm uh, confidence that he will endure until Jesus returns or until his life is no more. Oh, that we had that sort of perspective. Oh, that we were willing to sell everything. To give everything. To step out and to witness to our friends and family that we say that we love the most. That we would not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we would be willing to lose everything for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of God's kingdom and the salvation of the souls of those all around us. For the first 300 years of Christianity, Christianity grew in a climate where the soul was watered with the blood of martyrs. For the first 300 years of Christianity, indeed, the soul was wet with the blood of the martyrs. One of those martyrs was a man named Polycarp, who was bishop of Smyrna. 
Polycarp was a disciple of the Apostle John. He was mentored by the Apostle John. And at the age of 86, he was arrested and imprisoned for preaching the gospel and the living testimony that he had within the city. He was brought to the amphitheater of that city and encouraged to deny the gospel, to forsake the faith, and to walk away so that it might spare his life. His very famous words were, Eighty and six years have I served him. And he never did me harm. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior who has saved me? What a perspective. We're going to feed you to the wild animals. Go ahead. Do it. We're going to burn you at the stake, Polycarp. That's all right. Listen to my name. I'm not that worried anyway. says, go ahead, do whatever you want. In fact, the guy comes to nail him to the stake, to secure him to the stake so that he wouldn't run away and be burned by the flames like you and I would be so tempted to do. And Polycarp looks at the man who comes in to nail him to the stake and he simply says, leave me as I am. He who gives me strength to bear the fire will hold me to the pile. And with only a rope securing his hands, The flames were lit and consumed him as he exhorted all of those around him to endure for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, that type of passion. Oh, that type of faithfulness. Oh, that type of life. Let me ask you, do you have that type of faith? That type of fortitude? That type of passion for the gospel that has saved your soul and set you free to serve the living God? Are you willing to suffer for him? 22 years old, Jim Elliott penned those famous words in his journal. What a statement. Because at 28 years old, he would be martyred by the Alka Indians whom he was sent as a missionary to in Ecuador. And Jim Elliott at 22 years old says, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool to give who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jesus said in Matthew 16, verses 25 through 27, if anyone desires to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What's your soul worth this morning? God loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son to suffer and die in your place so that you might have salvation. If you would repent of your sins and place your faith unreservedly in Christ Jesus. But the call is not to have an easy and peaceful life for the rest of time. The call is to come and die so that Jesus Christ might live through you. You willing to have salvation, then listen, you need to be willing to suffer for our Lord and Savior. If we have been saved, 
then we have been saved to serve our Lord and King. If we serve Him, then we will suffer. But we are not to be afraid of suffering or ashamed of our salvation because greater is He that, is, that has suffered, died, and rose again. Greater is He that has saved my sinful soul. Greater is He that is within me than He that is within the world. And I stake every day upon it. That He is greater than anything this world could offer or that death could take away. And because of that, He has my eternal love, devotion. He has my eternal service. Even if that means suffering. Oh, how we need Jesus. We need Jesus every hour. Every moment. We need Jesus to save our souls. We need Jesus to strengthen us. To, to have the, work, the strength to work for in His service. We need Jesus each and every moment. To sustain us. Even in the midst of suffering. We need Jesus. Every hour. Do you have him? Do you rest on the sure and certain confidence that comes. From the relationship with him. If you don't. I invite you this morning to surrender your life, to surrender your soul to him and to come and say, Lord, I know you are willing to suffer for me. I am willing to surrender all to you and to you alone. Father, we need you. We need your love, your grace, your mercy. We need your strength and your sustenance. And this morning we come asking that as we sing this song of invitation, that we would make the commitment to be willing to suffer for the sake of your gospel. That we would not hold on to anything as ours. We would not be hoarders of our own stuff, of our own pleasure. But Father, we would sacrifice everything for your sake and for the furtherance of the gospel. That Lord, if that means that, that we are to sell everything and to give it to the work of your kingdom, we would be willing to do that. Lord, if that means that we are to go and to move and to, to engage, Father, distant people with the gospel of Christ, we would be willing to do that. Father, if it means that we need just to step out and to go down the street to our family or friends, our neighbor's house, and share the gospel, that we would be willing to do that. Lord, let us never forget your suffering that has purchased our salvation. Let us accept our suffering. Father, let us remember our salvation. And Lord... Let us this morning, especially in these moments, realize the spiritual service which you have gifted us for in your kingdom. And Lord, let us fulfill it. Let us be faithful to you, unashamed as a workman. And Father, a minister of the gospel, we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing our hymn of invitation.